Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I've sort of solidified my summer sailing schedule. I'm going to be flying to Amsterdam and actually, hopefully, meeting up with a listener in Amsterdam. And then we'll be flying down to Dubrovnik, putting the boat in the water, sailing down to Montenegro to deal with the ridiculous EU VAT set tax situation and start the time clock over again. And then back up to Croatia and work our way north, uh, up to the very northern end of Croatia, and then hopping over to Venice, and then back up to northern Italy to put up the boat at the end of the summer. That's going to be about two months of sailing. And after that, I'm going to probably fly up to Berlin, never been to Berlin before, and spend a night or two there, and then fly back to, or take a train from Berlin back to Amsterdam, and then fly home at the uh, at the end of August. So that's the summer sailing schedule. So today we're going to have the second interview with Dr. Joe Alton, or better known as Dr. Bones, and hopefully Nurse Amy will be with us as well. But before we get to that, let me thank our sponsor, Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from bimini's and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine, a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Well, before we get on to the interview, I just want to remind you that if you want to support this podcast, there's three ways to do it. You can Buy my audio products available at medsailor.com, which consists primarily of the old podcasts. If you want to go back in the library and buy the podcasts from way back when, you can buy those in 20 podcast bundles for 10 bucks each, 50 cents a podcast. Second way is you can become a Patreon. And you go to patreon.com backslash medsailor and sign up. There's multiple rewards for supporting me on Patreon. At the $25 per month reward, you get uh, all my back catalog without, with, well, basically for free. Well, not for free, for your, for your patronage. And then also I have audio products. Uh, besides the old podcasts, I have audio lessons for the ASA 101, the 103, and the 104. I can't teach you how to sail in a podcast or an audio book, but I can teach you the basics and the theory and the vocabulary of sailing, and what you need to understand to pass the written portion of the American Sailing Association exams, the ASA 101, the 103, and the 104. Those are three different sets of audio lessons. So I guess that's the three, the the audiobooks, the podcasts, and the patronage. All right, let's get on to my interview with Dr. Joe Alton, and hopefully Nurse Amy. All right, I'm back with Dr. Joe Alton, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. And we're just going to continue on this interview from where we left off last week. And last week, or not last week, the last recording and the last interview, we talked a lot about blood. And I actually got my tourniquet uh, in the mail. And my wife and I, over the weekend, we went, went to your website and went, well, we went to your YouTube channel and we watched a bunch of your of your YouTube uh, recordings. Uh, We saw the one on the SWAT T tourniquet. We saw the one on the triangular bandages. We saw the one of you putting together your family or going through what's in your family, (laughs) your family. (laughs) My kitchen sink. Yeah, the first aid kit. And my wife, who's a nurse, and prepared my own uh, first aid kit when I crossed the Atlantic a long time ago. I was very impressed with the detail of that. Now, now I'm just going to go into this, and and then we'll get into some other topics. When I was watching you do that, Mm -hmm. uh, one of my one of my thoughts, and it's not a concern, but one of my thoughts is, what's the shelf life of of all the 
yeah, a lot of the stuff you put in there, there's salves and, and things that might go bad with time. And do you have sort of a recommendation on when to replace any of the items in that med- medical kit, which is a <laughs> exhaustive medical kit? It is. Well, there's the good thing is I put all the medications in one particular spot. Mm-hmm. And what I usually tell folks, just if they want to keep it as fresh as possible, is just to go in every two years and just replace that stuff. You can get that stuff anywhere, grocery store, pharmacy, Walmart, Kmart. You know, they're super easy to find. We're just talking about over-the-counter medications. Um, if something happened and you're stuck, say, for 10 years with all of that, probably most of them will be almost 100% effective even several years into it. And what they'll do is they'll just become a little less and a little less effective over time. None of them are going to turn to poison. You're not going to die if you use a Neosporin that's five years expired. It just might not work as well, which is why I think we talked about last week possibly raw, unprocessed honey. Right. Not -hmm. not having an expiration date. (laughs) So make sure that you hold on to the raw honey that I put in there. So I recommended an every two year rotation. I think in that way, if something happens, you know that you you're up on top of everything. And even though you have many, many years, you've recently replaced them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. Instead of putting that in a, in a closet for 10 years and then something happens and you say, gee, I wish I would have replaced my medicines because it's already been 10 years. So if you just keep up on them, that's just that one thing. Um, like I said, even if you use them five years after, slight, slightly less effective. The things that affect expiration dates, I'm sure my husband's going to talk about that in a second, um, are just a, a, a limited number of things. I'm going to go ahead and let you talk, honey. All right, of course. Uh, expiration. And specifically, we're talking now about the Tylenol, the the ibuprofen, the um, there's triple antibiotic ointment, A&D ointment, Vaseline, those kind of things we're talking about specifically. Absolutely. You know that the best way to maintain the potency of all of your medicines is to keep them in a dry, cool, dark place. So that's something that's very important. That's why some medicines come in these brown or amber colored bottles is because they don't want them to get exposed to too much light. You certainly don't want them exposed to humidity. As a matter of fact, if you have a medicine cabinet in your bathroom, actually, that's probably not a good place to keep your medicines simply because of the humidity from showers and things like that. Or also, if we're talking about boating, if you are boating in the tropics where there's a lot of humidity, you could consider um, ziplocking some of the medications or even vacuum packing would be, you know, a really great way to just keep all of that out as far as keeping it dry. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, Now, how can Amy say that these medications five years down the road are going to be mostly potent? They may be not quite as potent as they are now, but they're going to be mostly potent. And the reason why that can be said is because the government itself has addressed this issue. Now, of course... In this country, we have warehouses dotted throughout throughout the country that have millions of doses of various types of medications based on what natural disasters might occur in a certain area. And when the medicines would become expired, the Department of Defense and FEMA and all the uh, FDA, all these people that or maintain these warehouses would get the forklifts out and they would throw out tens of millions of dollars worth of medicine. But even the government decided that this was maybe a little bit overkill, a, a, a little bit of overkill, maybe, <laughs> maybe a, a little expensive, maybe a little wasteful. And so what they did is they did a study that is known as the Shelf Life Extension Program. And what they did is they evaluated 122 different medicines used in disaster situations, including antibiotics and uh, pain meds and things like that. And they tested them for their potency over the course of a period of time after their expiration dates. And they found that most things that were in pillar capsule form 
were 100% potent between 2 to 12 years beyond the expiration date. And uh, medicines that were in ointment or cream form, they had tended to lose, or, or in liquid form, tended to lose their potency somewhat quicker. Now, none of these medicines really wound up making you grow a horn in the middle of your forehead or making you grow feathers or anything like that. They didn't become, as Amy said, poisonous, right. but they became possibly, in some circumstances, less Effective, potent. And right. but, but most of them, if they're in pill or capsule form, actually were 100% potent, even years after their expiration date. Well, that pretty much uh, puts that <laughs> to rest, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> So let me ask you a question. Um, I didn't see, and, and let me ask you, because one of the common um, drugs that you talk about, uh, well, I'm not sure if you, but that, that I hear that's used quite a bit is Benadryl. And I don't see that in this kit. And is that just... Oh, a, yeah, it's there. It's in there. Okay. Cause, okay. It, it's, oh. Benadryl is, is diphenhydramine. So we're using the generic names for the these medicines. So we'll say ibuprofen instead of Advil. We'll say acetaminophen instead of Tylenol. Things okay. Like that. I, I wouldn't, I would expect it to be in there. So I'm glad it is. So I just didn't see it. I'm, I'm looking at the, well, I can't read fast enough to get through this while you're talking, but this exhaustive <laughs> list. Of, of pages, uh, yeah. The medicine's all at the end of the description. Yeah. All right. But I tried to sort them out. You'll find them. By groups. You'll find it. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I was trying to read through this while I was uh, listening to you, and I, I didn't see it, but I'm sure I just missed it. So, okay. There it is. Oh, dep- there it is. Generat- generic Benadryl. There generic. it is. Yeah, generic. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let me talk to you a little bit. Uh, well, I'm thinking about the t- type, uh, the types of injuries you're most likely to have on a sailboat, and the injuries I've had on a sailboat uh, are have been: I once sliced my knee when I was in Canada on a, on a wire that was protruding from one of my turnbuckles, and I it was a it needed stitches, so I hopped in the dinghy and went and found a little clinic in in Canada, and they stitched it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then burns, which can easily happen around a galley, or that's a big fear on a boat is burns. Mm-hmm. And and then the other injury we've had, well, I've had two other injuries. One was a smashed finger when a hatch smashed down on one of my guest fingers, and he was in tremendous pain for a long time. And then another one was when I was sailing across the Atlantic, one of my crew members almost fell off the boat, and the other yep. crew member reached out and grabbed him and pulled him back in and severely strained his shoulder where he was pretty much, uh, uh, one arm was pretty much useless. He kept that in a sling after that. So let's just talk about uh, lacerations, first of all, and what, what the treatment would be for different lacerations. Well, it depends on how deep your lacerations are. If you've just gone through the skin, the uh, epidermis and the dermis, the deep, deep end superficial layers. And that is pretty much easily dealt with by uh, using an antiseptic and making sure that your injury is well cleaned out. Now, to clean out an injury like that, what you need to have is what we call irrigation. You want to have clean water and you want to flush the debris out of an open wound and you want to be able to be able to say that that wound is is clean. And, and in in boats, I don't know how how clean it would be. I, I know that in the wilderness, it may be difficult that a lot of the wounds would be actually dirty wounds. But it's hard hard to say on a boat if you if you have. I know that a lot of people that are boat owners are just meticulous, meticulous about yes. their about cleanliness yes. on the boat itself. So it's. It's really hard to say, but it just depends on how deep the in, the wound is and how many layers it's gone through. There are going to be situations if you go through uh, subcutaneous fat, muscle tissue, it's more than just the skin that you have to wonder if you need to close a wound. That's a very tricky thing because you just have to have just the right judgment because if that wound has bacteria colonizing it, well, if you close the skin over it, it may certainly can cause abscesses or can cause a pretty significant infection. There's actually with seawater uh, a type of bacteria called Vibrio vulnificus, which is a flesh-eating type of bacteria. It can really cause a lot of 
a lot of damage and it can travels from place to place on the body, which, so you could actually have a laceration on your arm and wind up losing a part of your leg as a result of uh, the the neck, the condition called necrotizing fasciitis that occurs with uh, this bacteria and a number of others. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, fortunately that's never happened to me, but I've certainly got, I always seem to give blood to the boat somewhere along the way. There's someone actually a seven year five year old man died uh, after being seventy uh, five year old a seventy five year old man died as a result of this infection from uh, the spine of a catfish of, of a saltwater catfish hmm. that happened just a few months ago in Florida. Okay, all right, so, so it does, ha- does happen. Crazy, crazy stories. Yeah, out there. and I guess there's really no way of protecting yourself against that, is there? I mean, it's just well, sort of. If he it just if, randomly happened to him, right? Well, you might have, might consider wearing uh, some protective gloves to try not to get stuck with the catfish spine. Yeah, but it, it's, well, sometimes you bring up your hook happen. and you just don't know what's on it <laughs> to well, the last second. You're like, you know, oh, what's this? Crazy things happen. Look what <laughs> happened to Steve Irwin. You know, diving with a stingray and wound up so getting crazy. stabbed in the heart with the spine. I mean, just. Uh, Amazing. What was it? Was but he you a can, crocodile hunter? Is that what they call yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And he was young, too, but yeah. two little kids. Yeah, yeah, two little kids. You just never know. Safety first. You know, like you, like Joe was saying, wear the gloves. You know, put, put the boots on. Make sure you have protection on your head if you need to do something in construction. You know, it's, it's just all about safety. But like the guy falling off the side of your boat. Nobody knew that was going to happen, and the first instinct from your friend was to grab him, mm-hmm. except that it dislocated his shoulder. I mean, it's just so unexpected things happen. Um, you never expect a fire, but, you know, you try to prepare for it as best you can. Things happen. So I guess what we're talking about is if they've already happened. Right. What, what, how do you deal do? with it? Right. You know, Burns, it happened however it happened, and now what do we do? With Burns, you want to get some water, hopefully running water on, on the burn for a period of time. You need uh, non, as part of your supplies, you need nonstick dressings. Uh, the common brand name is known as Telfa, T-E-L-F-A, so it doesn't stick onto the burn. And they can you, also be called non-adherent. Right. Non-stick, non-adherent. They look like the shiny part of a Band-Aid. It has that same sheen look to it, except instead of being a teeny tiny little square, they, they make them bigger. Now they have so their it's a, right. a very similar type bandage. They have specific burn dressings known as Xeroform, X E R O foam, Xeroform form form. form I'm sorry. F O R M form mm-hmm. dressings that uh, are specifically meant for burns, but you can make your own by simply taking gauze and uh, and some petroleum jelly and just sort of mash it up so you have or, this sticky dressing and uh, use or that. Or you could also use a raw and processed honey right. instead of that, uh-huh. or a, a triple antibiotic or a neosporin right. yeah. kind of ointment, mm-hmm. right? So you could sort of make your own there. Okay, so <laughs> you basically put the dressing into the sterile gauze and just gently lay that over the burn then, is that right? Well, you right, the, you're putting the ointment, the ointment on, the, right. on the gauze and then turning the whole thing over onto the wound. Okay. Or you can squish the ointment onto the burn. It's just if you put it on the dressing, then you're not moving around the burn so much. You know what I'm saying? You're like spreading that ointment around on somebody who's got a burn. It probably doesn't feel real well. But if you spread it on the gauze and then flip it over, you're not manipulating the the poor person's burned area. So that's why we say put it on the gauze and then just turn it over onto the wound. Okay, and then just gently cover it. You don't want to bind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Okay, just loosely. A, a rolled gauze just around the limb. A paper tape is very gentle. You want to just be, you know, super loose about it. It doesn't need to be tight and and bound by any right. pressure whatsoever. Now, your crew member who wound up being grabbed or prevented from falling completely overboard but injuring the shoulder, obviously that person should have uh, a sling put on once uh, it, it was the shoulder actually dislocated i forget i don't know what well, i don't think the shoulder was dislocated it just was he was in a lot of pain at that point in time and okay. 
And, and I don't think there's really much we could do except for immobilize it. Right, and that's a good idea. And, and indeed, the video that you mentioned about the triangular dressing, uh, that shows you exactly how you should immobilize that type of injury. So uh, check out our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nursami is the name of the channel, and you'll see that. Yeah, video. I'm, I'm going to. Now, if you have some I'm access. Go ahead. I'm going to give a warning to people. Once they get onto your channel, they'll go an afternoon of watching videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff there. We have, I think, I think I have 200 videos. Right. But um, yeah. I also probably would have used some ice if you have an ability to make ice on your boat. Some people have galleys and kitchens and, mm -hmm. you know, ice makers, or they've brought some ice with them for the, the fish. You don't want nasty ice, but... If you if you only have the nasty eyes, at least put it in a Ziploc bag, yeah. you know, or a couple of Ziploc bags before you apply it to the poor guy's shoulders. Or just have a supply of those shake and break ice packs that uh, you can get. You know, we have them yeah. in many of our kits. Or if you're fishing, you know, somewhere where the water's cold, you know, a cold cloth on it. But some sort of ice ice helps reduce inflammation at, at the beginning of an injury, a sprained ankle or a jarred knee or like you said a shoulder that may have you know kind of just twisted in the wrong way the ice is is very soothing another thing i would also do is provide somebody a couple tablets of ibuprofen ibuprofen uh, reduces inflammation also so between the ibuprofen and and also it's a pain reliever it's <laughs> mm -hmm. not that's not why i'm giving it but i'm but it does do that also but a couple Tylenol and the ice uh, will help, I think, speed healing and make them feel better. Okay. Let me ask you. Now, I've got both on the boat Motrin and ibuprofen. And Motrin is just, what, is it 800 milligrams and the regular tab is 200 milligrams or something like that? Well, Motrin can come in 400 or 800. Uh, right. Yeah. But the prescription is actually 800. I don't think you mm -hmm. can get over-the-counter 800. But... Gee, folks, it's kind of easy for us to just add 200 times 4 right. <laughs> and right. get to the 800. Or you can go to the pharmacy with a prescription from your doctor and get 800 milligram tablets, which are giant also. They are. They're, they're, they're big horse pills. But <laughs> they is, are. But w when would you want to? I guess I, I read somewhere, but at some point in time, that at some point in time or at some uh, prescription of of ibuprofen, it becomes much more, um, much more effective for uh, inflammation. Is that true, or is it just some sort of an old wives' tale? It's all very useful for uh, inflammation. The 200 milligram dose of Advil, and you know, the the very low doses are are meant to help decrease uh, pain, fever, yeah. decrease pain. Uh, but I would go to the higher doses, uh, maybe the 600. Four, four, four or 600. Depends four or 600. on the size of the person. Yep. You could even go, you know, 800, but don't do that more than... Three times personally, a day is the max. Personally, right. I'd say twice, only because I, I myself have had an allergic reaction to ibuprofen. Ooh. My tongue swelled up and my throat started closing. And it is a frightening thing, especially when you have no idea what in the world is going on because all you're doing is taking ibuprofen and how could this happen? But I had, um, I think it was after my first child and I had had a C-section and I had didn't want to take pain medicine and naively, and I guess because I was distracted by a newborn child that I had never had before, didn't realize the pain medicine was mixed with ibuprofen. So here I am alternating a pain medicine with major doses of ibuprofen and then taking a pain medicine a few hours later, thinking I'm not taking so much pain medicine so everything's good. And then my tongue swelled up and I had started having trouble breathing and had to go to the emergency room. It's very frightening. So you can OD on ibuprofen, folks. Not it that, is not just a safe medicine. It's okay. not the, the not the most common side effect. Most people will experience stomach upset and things like that. Those are more common right. side effects of ibuprofen. It can cause also a thinning of the blood, just like a aspirin. Mm -hmm. So of those things, Tylenol won't cause thinning of the blood. Um, but again, everything has its but it has safe no, dosage. But it has no anti-inflammatory. Doesn't it? Effect. it won't so just decrease for, just inflammation. Just for pain and fever. 
Okay, so acetaminophen for pain and fever and, and ibuprofen for uh, inflammation then. Yep. There I you think go. that's the best way to go. Okay. So um, my wife, uh, who was a nurse for, you know, for her entire career, uh, developed an allergy to ether. And so she always carries epinephrine around with her. And the EpiPens have become ridiculously expensive, so she always carries a syringe and epinephrine with her. Um, I don't see that in your kits, but that is such an, an, an anomaly of, a, of, a, of an allergy that I can understand why you wouldn't put that in. No, there, uh, there's a one clear problem. It's prescription only. Right. I cannot put prescription medicines ah, in a kit. Right. It's by doctor prescription only. So anything that has to have a prescription including an IV bag, by the way, cannot be put into my kit. All right, just There's normal saline. Prescription, prescription in my kits mm. because you, I can't do it. If you're not my patient, I can't write your prescription and give you a medication. So these are for over-the-counter only, and if you need something like that, you have to get a prescription. Okay, so this would be, this would be a very good kit. I'm talking about the family medical kit, which is a wonderful kit. Uh, but any, this is where if you have special needs, you need to add that to your, 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 your kit yourself then. Exactly. Your if you need to take blood pressure pills or you have high cholesterol or whatever else that you have a condition for or like she has an allergy. I have an allergy to a medication that I make sure I don't take, not the ibuprofen, but something different. Um, so, you know. You know, if you've got to carry an EpiPen, you've got to carry an EpiPen and, with and regards, get it from the, the doctor. And with regards to IV fluids, you have to realize that there is a certain amount of weight associated with having to pack IV fluids. Now, you may ha you may be able to put that on your boat, but most of the folks that we uh, deal with are dealing with wilderness or off-grid issues and, indeed, each weight means the, a lot. Right, each of the IV <laughs> leaders of IV uh, fluids are several pounds. Yeah, and so it's uh, sort of difficult. Well, and, and then you have to have the knowledge to be able to insert a uh, an IV needle into somebody too. So that that's that's a very specialized skill to be able yes. to do that. Training yeah. takes training and knowledge of complications and dangers of doing what you right. do. Right. We talk also about uh, the vials of epinephrine that uh, oftentimes are That's used. That's what she's in, carrying. If you don't wife. have the $300 EpiPens, you know, there, then you need to actually carry a vial with you. And the nurses, you know, nurses and doctors certainly can do that. Right. And that's why your wife knows to do that. <laughs> right. Right. And also the EpiPens expire where the vials have a longer shelf life as well. And, and the vials are in, fairly inexpensive. So exactly. That is so true. Big difference. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I want to ask you a question on when to use uh, super glue and what the techniques would be for super glue to close up a wound. And like you say, after you make sure it's uh, it's it's super clean before you you would do that. Right. That's very important with regards to super glue. Super glue is a, a cyanoacrylate and there's a medical version of, of cyanoacrylate known as Dermabond. And this is a prescription uh product that costs probably about $50, but you can actually use super glue, uh, actual industrial super glue to close a wound in times of trouble where you just don't, or, or when you're off the grid and you just don't have anything else. And how do I know that? Because there are countries in this world that don't have two nickels to rub together. And when people show up at the emergency room with a laceration, they use regular industrial super glue to close those wounds and they claim actually to have less of an infection rate than with the prescription stuff so this is something that is definitely an option it, super glue may possibly cause uh, a, an allergic reaction so you could test it on your crew by placing a one drop on the inside of a forearm let's say and see what happens 24 hours later if it's red and uh and irritated, then that person might be allergic to it. But if not, it certainly is an option. And this is how you would use it. Basically, you would have somebody hold the skin together, the cut ends of the skin together of the laceration. And that can even be the patient. And that, could be, that, can, and that could be the patient. <laughs> with clean hands. Right, with clean hands. <laughs> or and, gloves. And you apply a layer of superglue directly upon the actual cut ends of the skin without and making sure that the skin is indeed tightly 
together. Because you don't want any super glue to actually harden, you know, between the layers of skin that you want to actually put together. I want to clarify this. We're, what we're talking about is, um, let's say, spackle on the outside. We're not talking about Gorilla Glue sticking two things together to hold them. This is not going on the inside of the wound to stick it together. This is a superficial, topical, external application, like a varnish on the outside of a wound with the wound edges pulled Tightly together. Opposed. Exactly. Okay, so, not so, inside. so you're now, not going to pinch it and pucker it up. You're going to push it together so it's laying flat on the body. Is that what I'm thinking? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly right. So you allow that first layer to dry, and then you place a second layer directly on top of the first, but then go out uh, a bit in a sort of a, if, if it's a straight line incision, you what you uh, laceration, what you would do is go in a ever widening sort of oval okay. around around the wound. Let that layer dry as well. And once that is dried. Put a third layer on and then go around and go a little further beyond the oval that you made. So you have three full layers. And it's like applying nail polish. You're going to put a layer on, let your nails dry, then put another layer on and let your nails dry, and then another layer and let your nails dry. I know all the men out there understand what I'm talking no about. I had no idea. <laughs> you, I had no idea that you did that. Why, hey, why there not just are women voters out there that well, get what I'm talking about. How about, about that? So the thing, the thing that's important to know with regards to superglue is that <laughs> it doesn't take getting wet very easily, very, very well. Okay. So, so you have to keep that... Uh, relatively dry. It shouldn't be over an area that gets a lot of strain, like a joint. So if you know if you have a, a laceration knuckle. on your knee, right. you're probably better off using sutures or staples rather if you're going to close the wound, uh, rather than using super glue or just steri strips uh, or butterfly closures, things like that. It also doesn't take a triple antibiotic very well. Right. That and, breaks it down. And that's right. It actually will degrade the superglue closure. And But the good thing is, is that the superglue itself forms a barrier against infection. And so you're getting some benefit right. from an infection standpoint right. as well. It creates its own protection. Would, would you glue an, a bandage on top of it? No. No, no okay. need. All right. No need to do that. It should go directly on the skin. Plus, no. you know, I would like to see what's going on with the wound. That way, in case it does turn red or starts looking funky, you can see it. If you cover something up, it you can't really see it. So I, I wouldn't do that. Super, right. super glue is for something really, really shallow, really, really not, not a in terrible an area of stress. cut. Right, exactly. Not in an area that's going to get a lot of strain. Right. Um, I, I think it's important for your listeners to recognize when a wound is infected and the things that you look for is redness in the area. The redness usually spreads from day to day. And some people actually, if they see any redness, what they'll do is they'll mark it with a, with a marker just to get an idea of when the board, where the borders were on, on one day. And so they can compare it to the next day and see if it's going away or getting, getting worse. Uh, another thing is that the skin has a tendency to swell and become, start becoming shiny around where the edges of the wound are. And, uh, of course, uh, it becomes warm to the touch. So the, the area becomes warm to the touch compared to, let's say if it's on your arm, compared to the other arm. And these are some of the signs and symptoms that you'll see, of course, if it drains pus or develops a foul odor, that's going to be an obvious sign of infection as well. Okay, and at that point in time, you need to get to medical attention. Absolutely, and if you have antibiotics, you should begin taking them. Okay, all right. So let's... Um... Going back to the idea of a fire on board, um, is there anything you could do for smoke inhalation, or is it you just have to, you know, put oxygen. a mask in oxygen? Yeah. If you yeah. have an oxygen canister, you if if you think that's a significant risk, then I would definitely have a couple of oxygen canisters on board. That's something that, of course, you have to keep away from fire uh, in general. In, in general, but you know, once you have dealt with the dealt with the fire nothing's on fire anymore you certainly uh, would want to use that on your people that have smoke inhalation remember that they have burnt their airway and uh, a burn on the airway is much worse than a burn on the skin 
Yeah, I mean, you, much worse. That's right. And that person <clears throat> will usually have some soot around the mouth and uh, nose. Their voice will be very hoarse. They need to get they'll immediately have, to a hospital. Right, We're they, talking right, about evac, right. they may not, have not boating. They'll have difficulty breathing, yes. and so that's why it may be important for them make to sure be you have, taking oxygen. Make sure you have the mask and tubing, of course, to connect to the, right. the tanks. Exactly. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> now we're going to switch topics here. We're going to talk about a topic. One of my listeners wrote and said, would you do a podcast or get some information on for those of us that, that fight seasickness or motion sickness? And uh, what what is the standard protocol for dealing with motion sickness? I know when I sailed across the Atlantic, uh, one of my crew members the first day out became very seasick. And uh, he was miserable for about three days, and then he started talking again. And uh, so I knew he was over his seasickness. So I've never seen it kill anybody, but it's very uncomfortable for the period of time that they have to deal with it. So, well, you use uh, meclizine, 12.5 milligrams to 25 milligrams. Uh, some people call that Dramamine. I think that's the it standard. Has, it has, that's that, that's a, the standard over-the-counter medicine that you can use. Easy are, to get. Uh, its brand name is called Antivert. And it's something that would be uh, very useful to have, I guess, on it, pretty much any boat. Uh, it, it's something that in you just have to make sure your per, your your people are kept hydrated as well as possible. For the most part, uh, seasickness is is a temporary thing, and you can usually get over it without having to be uh, infused with intravenous fluids to stay hydrated. But at the very least, you should want you would want something that would relieve some of the dizziness and season and uh, um, nausea that people have. Another thing for nausea that's very useful is Zofran. Uh, before your voyage, you make sure that you go to your doctor and ask, tell them you're going on a voyage and that you're going to be at risk for seasickness, and uh, ask him for some Zofran, Z-O-F-R-A-N, very useful anti-nausea agent. So the, those are the two things that I would have on board for that specific issue. Now, what about the patches? Everybody talks about these scopolamine patches. Do you... Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any major issue with regards to them. Um, I don't know how well they keep the top over time, so that's why I'm talking about the pills and tablets. Okay. Because um, I know they'll last, you know, for. Uh, period of time beyond the beyond the expiration date i can't say the same about the scopolamine patches because i don't believe that there is hard scientific data about expired versions remember as i'm talking as i'm a survival medicine guy i'm talking about situations where there's not three days without power or you're you're not you know four days between islands I'm talking about a situation where you're going to be four months without power, six months without power, a year without power, the rest of your life without power. And so I need things to last as long as possible. I would and, also... And they're, not, they're not making... I'm assuming they're not making this stuff anymore. Right. I also want to mention that um, early on in my career, when I was... Before I even got my master's degree, I was a labor and delivery nurse. We used to give scopolamine to women in labor. And it made them crazy, but they completely forgot everything that happened to them. So instead of an epidural, they would ask for the drugs and they would get the scopolamine. And we'd have to escort the husband out because the woman would be begin saying insane things. Um, yes. Sometimes like a truth serum thing. You didn't want the husband hearing what she was about to say. Yeah. But they would become crazy and sometimes violent and it just be careful with scopolamine that's all i'm saying i've seen the bad effects okay now i had a client or a friend he was also a client of mine go sailing with me one time up in the northwest and his wife and i were in the cockpit and he took a dramamine and he disappeared down below and slept for about five hours and afterward anchored he came up and said and I haven't slept so good in years. <laughs> <laughs> right, there you go. We did the same thing on a whaling cruise off of um, Monte- whale, whale watching Monterey, 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 Monterey in California. California. I thought, well, we had our five kids with us, and we gave them <laughs> all this over-the-counter. It was just sitting next to the register when we bought the boat tickets. 
you know, it looked harmless. I really didn't pay too much attention. I thought, well, let me get all the kids. So we had kids aged from, what, 8 to 17 or 18. And so we gave them all, and we found a table down below, and we all put our heads down and pretty much slept the entire time until they would sound an alarm that they see a whale. We would all get up, go to the top, look at the whale, and go right back down and go back to sleep. <laughs> and I thought, and we thought what we... did I do to everybody? Why are we all sleeping? And we were worried that we were underdosing everybody. <laughs> it was so funny. Man. Oh, my. But I'll tell you what, none of us had seasickness. <laughs> right. <laughs> we were just fine. We just slept the whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was hilarious. What a trip. <laughs> All right, we've pretty much covered what I wanted to talk about. Is there other things that you want think that we should not forget to cover that uh, that we haven't talked about yet? Well, yeah, I wanted to just mention that I have a new book out called Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings. I think that it's very important for anybody in an off-grid setting, especially if they're going to be off-grid for a period of time, to have antibiotics available. So I believe that that includes ocean voyages as, as well. And I've written a book about the various types of antibiotics that you can get without a prescription in quantity if you need to, uh, so that you can have a supply for either disaster settings or for long ocean voyage, things like that. So so we talk about a dozen different antibiotics that I found in, in both uh, avian and aquatic form that you can get without a prescription that are exactly alike to human antibiotics. And the, uh, and the way I know that is by, well, just putting together my experience, not only as a physician, but also as somebody who has both birds and fish. So I have both avian and aquatic antibiotics. I've used them. And uh, uh, of course, so given human antibiotics to my human patients when I, when I practice the I never thought twice about it for no, about we didn't. for about twenty years. We had a huge container of was it five hundred tablets? Five hundred yeah. tablets of tetracycline in our, fish, in, our yeah. in our garage yeah. that we yeah. kept just in case our fish needed some treatment. Right. We just started taking a look at it. And we're like, this is exactly what we get from the pharmacy. We need to look into this. Right. Well, we the reason why we looked into it is we were concerned about avoidable deaths that would occur in survival settings and uh, infection sim simply from things like bad water causing dysentery things like that could easily cause people to lose their lives when they otherwise would have survived and right. so if they if they had antibiotics and so we looked at our fish antibiotics and our bird antibiotics as a possible option since we were able to get them without a prescription we can get them in whatever quantity that we wanted to right and we took a look at our fish antibiotic called Fishmox, and it had exactly one ingredient. That ingredient was amoxicillin 500 milligrams. And we looked at our human amoxicillin. It has one ingredient, amoxicillin 500 milligrams. So the fish antibiotic essentially didn't have anything that made your scale shinier, that made your fins longer or anything like that. It was just the one ingredient. And the funny thing is that it was 500 milligrams, which was exactly the human dosage. And we were wondering why a tilapia, which we were growing in ponds at that time, or or tropical fish, which we all, which we also had, why a guppy would require an adult human dosage of amoxicillin if they had an infection, or why they would put it in that, dosage. why they would put it in that form. Right. And so thankfully, there are websites, and anyone can do this if you buy, you know, a small amount or one bottle to to just see for yourself and open up the bottle. They come in. You can even buy them as few as twelve capsules. But buy it, open it up, and go on drugs.com. Right. If you or, look at the amoxicillin that's made by Deva Pharmaceuticals. Okay. All right. So, okay. I shut off the phone, so that's okay. So, Deva Pharmaceuticals. If you look at the amoxicillin that's produced by Deva Pharmaceuticals for humans, and you look at the 500 milligram dosage, it's a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. If you look at Fishmox, the 500 milligram version, it's a red and pink capsule with the number. There's WC731 on it. So in other words, it is identical. And, and after discussing things with some pharmacists that are also interested in preparedness, we realized that they were indeed the same antibiotic, just separated out into different batch, batches 
and put into different bottles, one that had a fish on it and one that didn't. And so we found about a dozen antibiotics that were like that, including things like uh, azithromycin, z We found doxycycline. We found tetracycline. We found clindamycin or cleosin. We found uh, keflex or cephalexin. Uh, and these were all available without a prescription in whatever quantity that you needed or that you could afford. And they are what I recommend to every preparedness minded individual with regards to having supplies that may prevent infection or treat infection in situations where modern medicine is not available. So so I actually just ordered it on uh, while we've been sitting here talking. And, uh, <laughs> and, and and also I've got links to that and your 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 emergency medical handbook as well at the website and they'll be posted with links in the show notes for this episode. And for this for for this topic, that look for the book Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease. Right, and I'm looking at it right now, and you got uh, 32 customer reviews, all five stars, on this book in Amazon. So it's pretty, pretty well, pretty well received. Um, I'm debating if I want to buy two of them, one for my boat and one for for the ranch. So that's oh. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So yeah, that's that's very good. Now in the in the infectious diseases, are you going to do you talk about when to use the antibiotics, or would you need your other book? Oh, absolutely. Or, okay. Yes, the book t- tells you about tells you generally about the types of infections that would be treatable with antibiotics. It talks about bacterial and parasitic infections. It talks about the common ones that you would find in the world today in in let's say the united states things that are that are common in the united states and how to recognize them then it talks about things that uh, types of infections that will become common in times of trouble or in underdeveloped countries things like typhoid things like typhus things like cholera now how to identify these it's important to recognize these that can be treated with antibiotics so you can treat them quickly before they get out of hand. Then we talk about the antibiotics, how antibiotics work, the different families of antibiotics. Then we go into each individual antibiotic that you can indeed uh, obtain. That's why we call it the layman's guide to available antibacterials in austere settings. And we tell you specifically what each antibiotic, how each antibiotic works, uh, what it would treat, so for example, under clindamycin, I tell you for dental infections, you take 150 milligrams orally every six hours for seven days. Oh, we, got, we, cut off, we cut off a second there. So for dental, so go back and tell me what you take for a dental infection again. So dental infections, you would take 150 milligrams orally every six hours for seven, seven days. For pneumonias, you would take 150 to 300. Uh, Just okay. a lot. The animal bite wounds, we have the dose for that, for uh, MRSA, for everything from bacterial vaginitis to uh, anthrax. Yeah. And, and the antibiotics, you know, the exact dosage, how to, how to use these antibiotics for children if it's appropriate to use them for children. Some you can't, some you can. If you can use them when you're pregnant or if you can't use them when you're pregnant, when you're pregnant can you use them if you're allergic to penicillin, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's, it sounds like something everybody should have, at least one copy of, and uh, possibly two. Uh, so this is really a reference book and a way of identifying what you might be needing. I mean, one of the things that I know we see a lot when we sail, because we sail in, uh, we sailed a lot in Turkey and we sailed a lot in Greece, is, is, and I told you this last time we talked, was dysentery. And uh, Cip- Ciprio, I think, is what we took for dysentery. Cipro. Cipro. Yes. Yeah. And, and we discussed Cipro yep. in, in the book in detail. And we discussed dysentery and all and all the various bacteria that can cause those kinds of uh, contaminated water kind of illnesses. All right. Well, I'm uh, like I say, there's going to be links to your books. And also, I notice on your doomandbloom.com, and it's also doomandbloom.net website, you've got a lot of other books that you recommend people might consider besides your own? You've got Gray's Anatomy here. You've got uh, Stedman's Medical Dictionary. You've got a lot of other books that you recommend uh, that people might have as part of their bookshelf, their healthcare bookshelf. 
in here. Yes, yes. Uh, and some people may be watching the new series called The Hot Zone, which is about Ebola. I actually have a, a book that made Amazon's top 100 during the Ebola epidemic in West Africa. We're in the midst of the second largest Ebola epidemic right now in the Congo. Uh, uh, so you'll find a book on Ebola there. We have we have various books that we've written on epidemic diseases. All right. Now you travel around and you give different workshops and classes. Uh, what's coming up in the next month or so? We're actually not doing anything in the next month. We're talking to... We're writing a lot of articles yes. for magazines. <laughs> right, right. We, you'll, so a lot of those. That, yes, you'll see our, our articles in the American Survival Guide and Survivor's Edge and Back was home, a lot of different uh, magazines in the survival and homesteading genre. A lot of writing projects. Well, it sounds like you need to submit some of those same articles to the cruising, uh, the cruising magazines as well. Oh, that would be fun. That Absolutely. would be a good idea. We yeah. have to figure out what the, what the big what, cruising world, is that one? That's one of the big ones. Uh, latitude, uh, what is it? There's, uh, there's a couple big ones. One's dealing with a lot of offshore sailing. And... Uh, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but yeah, I mean, you uh, you should be submitting. I mean, basically, the same articles could be submitted to multiple outlets, and they're not really going to c- cross over very often. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you for the good idea. We actually a great live, idea. live in South Florida, so we're in a big boating area for sure. Yeah, yeah, we're and just you know, you, you want to be off grid. If you want to go offshore two miles you're pretty much off grid so that's it you're absolutely right 100 percent. all right thank you so much i want to get you back on in another year or so and catch up and and uh i really appreciate you coming back for uh well this would be the fourth i think the fourth interview we've had and i really Fantastic. appreciate your time thank well, you thank so you much, so Franz. much have a beautiful day all right talk to you later thank you Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.